0: It's good to see all of you here tonight. Now turn in your Bible to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Revelation chapters 2 and 3. I want to speak tonight on the church and her vision. During the month of June, our focus is on the church, the Lord's church. Now this will be interrupted a few times on the 21st, Father's Day. I want to speak, I want to bring another message on the home. Uh, That'll be on Father's Day, so keep that in mind. But uh, during the month of June, Primarily, the focus is on the church. And I don't know of any better place to turn in the Bible to find something about the church than the last message Jesus gave to the church. It was a message of warning. And it was a message of vision. Now, it's a message of vision to us. I'm not sure that the warnings were given as visions. But as we look at these churches, the seven churches of Revelation, There can come to our heart and our bosom a vision of what God would have Glendale Baptist Church to be, and what He'd have us be as part of that church. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being here in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank You for all the beautiful songs and and the testimonies. Thank You for that Tim Lee crusade. Thank you, Father, for everyone who has come to the house of God tonight. Some may not know for sure that they'd go to heaven if they died tonight. We pray that the Spirit of God would stir their hearts and help them to see the need of Jesus. And may every believer just have a vision in his heart of what Christ would have us as a church and as New Testament Christians be as we approach the 21st century. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now with your Bible open to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, I'd like to bring to your attention some things about the church that Jesus built. Now the other, last Wednesday night and last Sunday, we spoke from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus called his best friends, his disciples together at Caesarea Philippi, just under Mount Hermon where the Mount of Transfiguration had taken place. And he began to say to them, who do men say that I am? Who do people really think I am? And some said, well, you're John the Baptist, or you're Elijah, or you're one of the prophets, or you're Jeremiah. We're not really sure. But, but, but Jesus said, who do you say I am? Now listen, Simon Peter, the very first man in New Testament history, recognized And Simon Peter said, "I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Now that's almost old hat to us. Excuse the slogan. We take it for granted. Everybody says, "Well, sure, Jesus is deity. We know that." But do you know that at that time nobody had recognized Jesus as who he was? They were thinking, "Well, who in the world is he? He he must be Jeremiah. He weeps like Jeremiah. He must be Elijah. He's fearless." He must be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Or he's just one of the prophets. We don't really know. But Peter knew. And Jesus said, Peter, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't understand this just because you're sharp or smart. You didn't get this just because somebody told you. He said, my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And incidentally, folks, that's the only way anybody can ever get saved. For the Heavenly Father, through the instrumentality and power of the Holy Spirit, to witness to the human heart about Jesus. That's the effectiveness and power of preaching. Jesus has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that will believe. And the preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit points men to Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. And and Jesus said, Peter, you're you're greatly blessed. You didn't just dream this up. My heavenly Father gave it to you. And I would say to every believer in this room tonight, everybody who is saved by grace, you didn't get it because you're sharp. You didn't get it because you're smart. You didn't get it because you had an intelligent uh, genes in your background. You got it because the Holy Spirit broke through to your life and pointed you to Jesus and said, that's God. And nobody can be saved unless you know that Jesus is God. You say Jesus is a good man, he's a good teacher, he's this and that and the other. All those things are good. Sometimes people put Jesus in the class with Buddha and Muhammad and some of the others and say they were the greatest teachers that ever lived. Listen, you can't put Jesus in that list. Jesus is God in human flesh. And Simon Peter was the first one to recognize that. And Jesus said, Peter, you're greatly blessed. Your name is Petros. You're a little pebble. But upon this Petra, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Jesus was going to build his church not on Peter, but on the thing that Peter confessed, the one that Peter confessed, the rock, Christ Jesus. Upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called-out assembly, and the gates of hell Shall not prevail against it. That is, when the church does its work, does its business, gets up and marches, the, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the onslaught and march of the Lord's church. Now, that's what the scripture is teaching. Now, that was what Jesus said to Peter. And he said, I'll give you the, the keys of the kingdom. He said, I'll give you the message that'll unlock the door of heaven. And whoever you unlock that door for, they'll be loosed in heaven whoever you bar the door for, that is, you don't go and tell them about it, they will, be, they, will be, uh, uh, they will not be loosed in heaven. They will be bound in the other world. That is, the most powerful message the church has is the message about Jesus because it opens the door of heaven and closes the door of hell. And when we withhold that message, we withhold heaven and we open the door of hell. Now, Jesus, later, we talked about the other night, Jesus founded the church in Matthew 16. He commissioned the church in Matthew 28. He empowered the church in Acts chapters 1 and 2. But He warned the church in Revelation 2 and 3. You see, He had already given the church an assignment. He had given the church a message. And now, from heaven... After he's gone back to the glory of the Father, he's looking down and he's warning the church lest they leave that message off. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Look at Revelation 2, and we're going to read some from Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We'll not read all of this, but uh, follow me, please. In Revelation 2, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them who are evil. And thou hast <clears throat> tried them who say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, this church at Ephesus did a lot of things, it was very active had a lot of things going for it. It probably had a lot of meetings, and it was rushing back and forth trying to get all things accomplished. The one thing they forgot was why they were doing it. Now somebody said, in many churches, even many Baptist churches, the work could go on and on and on, even if the Holy Spirit withdrew because people are so geared, they're just going on and rushing on to do the work, and they fail to remember why they're doing it. And Jesus said, that's something you better watch. You better watch that. Why do you go soul winning? Why do you teach Sunday school? Why do you sing in choir? Why do you go to church? Why do you do what you do? The love of Christ must constrain us. And Jesus said, the church at Ephesus, with all of its glory and all of its power, I have something against you. You've left your first love. Isn't that tragic? Isn't that tragic? Listen. God touched Glendale Baptist Church heart. We're beginning this summer the 33rd year of the ministry of this church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, into the ends of the earth. 33 years ago, 32 years ago, a old band of men and women, at least one of them in this building tonight, met together and helped to form this church. And from that little beginning, God has blessed and people have gone out from this church to the ends of the earth. But one thing that has characterized the Glendale Baptist Church is love. Love for Jesus, love for each other. God grant that that will always be part of the vision of our hearts. That we love, that we do what we do because we love Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us. It is His love. And may that always be true. You've left your first love. How in the world do you leave your first love? You quit looking at him. You quit reading his word. You go through the motions, but it's sort of empty. And you know, when you start criticizing, it's hard to express love. A husband and wife, and I didn't really intend to get on this tonight. I'm going to save this till the 21st, but I'll just give you a little bit ahead of time. When a husband and wife start criticizing each other, and they pick 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 and and they're jealous and and all that, it's really, really tough for them to express love. They may have love, but the love is sort of stuffed down in a corner, and it's hard to express that love. So that after a while, that love, begins to be dormant and it sleeps and it's not a real efficacious power in that life and that's what happens to divide and pull people apart the same thing's true in the Lord's church when we begin to pick and pick and pick and pick and pick and criticize it's really hard to express that love because remember that when you are picking at the body of Christ you're picking at Christ Paul said one day, I mean, uh, the Lord said to Saul out there on the road to Damascus, he became Paul later. The Lord said, hey, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, well, who are you? I'm not persecuting you. Who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. Whom thou persecutest? Well, he was in heaven. How was Saul persecuting Jesus? He was picking at Jesus' body. And when you pick a Jesus body, the church, you're in danger of losing your first love and causing the church to lose its first love. So there must be love and uh, just the love of Jesus in our hearts for one another and for Him. You have lost your first love. Let me go on. I could preach at each one of these for an hour. But let me go on. The second church. And to the angel of the church of, the Smyrna, of Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and last who was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. Thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them who say they're Jews but are not but the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. The Smyrna church, small, poor, under persecution. Jesus said, It's all right, Smyrna. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. Even when they cast you into prison, you can expect persecution. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Seven churches. Five, riddled through with terrible problems. Two, about which Jesus gave no word of criticism at all. Smyrna was one of them. Let's move to the next one. Look down at verse... Chapter 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write these things, saith he who hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's throne is. And thou holdest for fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days in which Antibus was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against you. Because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou them there that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against thee with a sword of my mouth. The church at Pergamos. What What was wrong with it? He said, well, you've got a lot of things going for you. You, uh, you held fast my name. You didn't deny the faith. And uh, even in the face of, of Anabas, who was my faithful uh, martyr, who was slain among you, and so on. But I have some things against you. You have there those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, what was the doctrine of Balaam? Balaam was that strange person in the Old Testament when the Israelites were marching through the wilderness and were on their way to Jordan, and to conquer the land of Canaan, they came to Moab. And there was a king, Balak. And Balak hated Israel. And Balak said, we're going to defeat Israel one way or another. And he heard about this strange man. He was sort of a preacher. They called him a seer, S-E-E-R. I'm not sure he should have the name prophet, though sometimes he's called that. But he was a seer at Beth Peor. And Balak sent for Balaam, the seer. He said, you come down here. Balaam said, I won't come. I won't go anywhere unless God will let me. Isn't that good? That sounds great, doesn't it? He sent for him again. Come on down. I won't go anywhere unless God will let me go. Come on down, Sent three or four times. And finally, he said, uh, I'll give you uh, some wealth. And I'll take good care of you. He pluribus, you And so Balaam came down. What a tragedy when a Christian comes down. Stand on your pedestal. Stand there. The world will hate you. They'll talk against you. Even Christians will be ugly to you. Stand there. And Balaam came down. And Balak said, I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam said, I can't curse Israel. They're God's people. I told you that I couldn't do anything unless God would let me do it. And he tried this three or four or five times and finally Balaam said, all right, now listen, Balak, you know I can't curse Israel. But I'll tell you what you can do. You won't tell anybody. You can curse them. I won't curse them. Letter of the law, I won't curse them. But here's what you can do. You throw a big shindig down there, get all your girls to go out there half naked, make a difference what they wear, and uh, have a lot of whiskey and beer and so on, turn on the television, turn on Elvis Presley and all those things, and get those guys from Israel to come down there and have part of that shindig. Oh, you mean that'll work? Yeah, that'll work. Don't tell anybody I said it. And so that's what Balak did. He had his girls go down here in the valley and they threw a big party and they invited all the Israelite men down there. And you guessed it. Before the night was over, there was debauchery and sin and lewdness. And there was defeat in the camp of Israel. Now God said, church at Pergamos, I've got some things against you. You have there those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. That is, compromise with the things of the world. Through the ages, the one thing that has blessed the Lord's church, even though it has been purged and tried by fire, has been purity. And when that's not there, there's a great problem. And Jesus said to, to the church at Pergamos, you have there." those that hold the doctrine of bailing, who are causing the people of God to stumble I want to tell you I believe that God's people ought to walk as far away from sin as we can and we always have trouble with sin there's nobody here that's not going to have trouble with sin but we ought to walk as far away from sin as we can avoid it Run from it. Don't play with it. Don't see how close you can get to it. When you turn these filthy television programs on and you just let your mind get all uh, involved in all those things that are going on, that does something to your body and to your system. And you're just asking for trouble. When you read all this lewd literature, you're asking for trouble. This is very unpopular today. I doubt if you ever hear this much, maybe except at Grundale, I don't know. I don't know that, but I believe that God doesn't want his people dancing. The proms and all those little pretty things that you call them. I know some mothers who are so interested in getting their kids to be accepted socially that they let them do it just about anything they want to do and say, well, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Look at that, isn't that cute? That's no, wicked. Not cute, it's wicked. And you're causing a stumbling block in the way. Jesus said, I, I have somewhat against you, church at Pergamos. And then he said, you've got those Nicolaitans there, which thing I hate, the Nicolaitans. Where do we hear from them? Well, in the Sunday school lesson this morning, we had seven men chosen to be uh, deacons. Most Bible students believe that that's where the deacons came from, chapter 6 of Acts. There were seven men mentioned. Among them was Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit power. Stephen went out, he gave his testimony, and he gave his life on the street corner, and Saul of Tarsus got under conviction and later got saved. Philip, He went down to Samaria and he preached there. And then he went down to Ethiopia to the road to Gaza and won the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus and baptized him. And then we have the story of the Ethiopian Christians. There's only one of those other men that we know anything about, his name was Nicholas. He's never mentioned anywhere else until you come to Revelation. There is divided opinion about this, but many Bible students believe that the Nicholas of Revelation 2 is the Nicholas of Acts 6. He was an early deacon who went away. He became religious. He kept on being in church. He had all the outward marks of somebody that was really somebody. Nobody could tell the difference, but Nicholas started a cult, a false doctrine and which shows up in that Pergamos church and Jesus said I don't like that I don't like what I found there that's going on there now there's a difference of opinion as to what Nicolatians believe. some teach that the Nicolatians taught that there was such a divergence between those who were preachers and those who were not preachers that God had double standards for them One standard for the preachers and one standard for the other people. There are others who taught, who who say that Nicholas was teaching, that the preachers had had too much sway and too much influence and they needed to be kept under, constantly under. They've had a lot of cousins down through the years, deacons who have tried to keep the preacher down under and tell him what to do. That was never intended in the Word of God. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's some figment of somebody's imagination that's grown up somewhere along the line. It never was in the Bible. But these Nicolaitans, Jesus said, I hate them. I don't like that. And you've got it there and you're allowing it to go on. Correct it. Change it. Or else I'll come and have to remove your candlestick. Let's look down a little bit farther. Look at Verse 18. Under the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath the eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like bronze. I know thy works, and love, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Boy, that's great, but look, verse 20, I have a few things against thee, because thou allowest that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach, and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. Behold, I will cast her into bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searcheth the minds and hearts. And I will give unto thee one of one of you. I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This is the church with immorality. I want you to keep in mind that these seven churches were real churches in the day in which John wrote. Jesus dictated the letters to John. They also represent the the ages of the church, the periods of church history. And when we come to this period, it is the period in church history where there was great mixed up standards, and immorality. And if you'll read a little bit about church history, you know that there were several people claiming to be popes, and the popes had harems. Even though they were not allowed to marry, each pope had his own little group of women. You say, you're just making some scandal out of that Roman movement. No, I'm not. You read church history, it's right there. And this is that part of church history where that occurred. And God says, I, Jesus said, I don't like that gonna give you space to repent if you don't repent severe trouble and of course severe trouble came in that church age which later resulted in uh, the Reformation period when there was a terrible jumble now God wants purity in his church we have we have sometimes problems applying God's standard of purity to the church. You see, God's goal and ideal for the church is purity. At the same time, we have the teaching of Jesus who said concerning that woman found in adultery, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. The compassionate, loving, tender-hearted Jesus. When Jesus deals with a sinner, he urges him to repent and to turn away from that sin and he says to the smug self-righteous crowd if I can forgive you forgive this is testified to in the book of Corinthians when that woman when that man was found to have an affair with his own mother stepmother his father's wife and the church did nothing about it Church no, took no stand at all, all kinds of impurity going on, and Paul had to come along and say, Put him out. Put him out. Take a stand. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 2 or 3, he says, Wait a minute. That man that you put out, he has repented. Let him back in. Let him back in. And so Jesus takes a strong stand against sin, but he says, to all of us who are sinners, do not be smug in your in your attitude. Let him that uh, when you find somebody who has gotten into a problem, into a trouble, into a sin, let him that is spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering himself lest he also be tempted. Now Jesus said, concerning this church, you're in severe trouble. You've allowed impurity take stands against impurity. Listen. Don't be offended, young people. Don't be offended when your preacher or your youth leader or your parents or somebody in the church sees you getting a little bit too close and too familiar and, and hugging up and holding hands and kissing and all that. When they come along and say, this is not the place for that. Don't get offended, say, hey, blah, 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 don't do that. Just remember that somebody's trying to save you from some trouble. Somebody's trying to help you. And the wise person will understand that. And of course, nobody likes to be corrected, and we all get filled with pride, and we say, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do, blah, 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 blah. But you see, the wise person say, thank you for correcting me, thank you for helping me with that, lest I get into all kinds of problems. Jesus told his church to be guardians of purity. Let's look at the next church. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy word. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and thou shalt know, not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now here was the church at Sardis. that had a big name. Everybody thought, boy, it's really some church. A big name, but inside it had seeds that would cause it to crumble. And it was a dying church. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's already dead. You see, when you die on the inside, you're already dead if you don't know it. Here's a beautiful tree. I don't like to cut trees down. I like trees to just stand there. But some of you who know all about trees, you can look at a tree and you can see, well, it looks dead inside. Let's just cut it down. I would say, well, wait a minute, let's give it another season, see if that green stuff will come back. But uh, you know better about it and you know to cut it down. And Jesus said, churches are like that. Sometimes they have a name that they're alive, but really inside they're dead. Sardis, that's your problem. A hint to the wise is sufficient. And I think it's God's purpose and God's plan in giving us this message for every time we read it to look into our own hearts and see, Lord, do we have a name that we're alive when we're really dead inside? Have those seeds that will cause death eaten away at us so that we're a dying church? A name that you're alive but you're really dead. Now let's look. I want to skip... So chapter 3, verse 14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, this is a church that wanted to be a jolly good fellow. Not going to find us taking any stand on anything. We want everybody to feel welcome here. Come on in, the water's fine. We're not either hot nor cold. We're just lukewarm, just like, just your taste. Just come right on in. You don't have to take any stands on anything. Just come right on. Uh, you don't really have to believe anything. Just come right on. Just have a good fellowship. We're a fellowship church. And the making a difference what you believe, what you do. the making a difference. Come right on in and so on. And Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're lukewarm. I would that you were hot or you were cold as ice. But I can't stand lukewarmness. I'm sort of like that about tea and tea. I used to drink coffee. Well, I drank a lot of coffee, but I never liked it lukewarm. I always wanted it hot. I could even put ice in it. I could drink cold coffee. Uh, I like tea. I love iced tea. Sweetened. Isn't <laughs> that awful? You ought to drink it without any sugar. And I love hot tea. Hardly anything better. The other day, I was in Louisville with my mother for a few minutes, and she's a tea drinker. I said, Mother, would you like to have some tea? And We got down her most beautiful uh, china, and we poured some tea, and we sat there and just had a good time drinking tea, hot tea. Pretty soon, mine got lukewarm. I didn't drink it all at once, and I had to pour it out and go to heat the tea kettle and put some more hot in there because I don't like anything that's lukewarm. And I want to tell you, Jesus doesn't eat Are you hot tonight for God? Or are you cold tonight? Or are you trying to be lukewarm and straddle the fence and say, well, it doesn't make any difference. I'll just do whatever I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Jesus said, uh, something radically wrong. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's a warning. What causes a church to be lukewarm? Well, it... it First, it takes a step back from the Savior. Instead of being right out on the firing line with boldness filled with the Holy Spirit, warding off the the fiery darts of the wicked one, we stand back a little bit. We stand back a little bit further. And pretty soon, we get in conjunction with the world. And we get filled with worldliness. And then, instead of really being out and out for God, we become compromisers. Instead of a church finding men who are soul winners and saying, we want you to be our leaders as deacons, they say, well, let's find out who runs it, who's the most wealthy person. Who can get up and pay, pray the prettiest prayer? Blah, 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 Who can do all that? Uh, who is, boy, who's somebody's who's really, uh, he's really uppity up somewhere in the society. We'll, we'll get him to be our leaders and our deacons and so on. And they don't really love God. They don't have a spiritual power and fire in their lives that leads them out on the front line of battle to win souls to Christ. And Jesus said, you know, you're going to get what you deserve. That's what you're going to choose. The church of the living God ought to choose men to be leaders and deacons and preachers in the church that are out and out for God. No compromise. That are not backbiters and sit over here with one little corner and say mean things and over here talk against people that love God. You know some of, the, some of the most tragic things that ever happened in the church is here's somebody that takes a big load for God and serves God and is up in front and leading with all of his heart and all of his mind and somebody sits over and says, <laughs> he's just doing that to be seen. He does it all let him do it he does it all i want to tell you jesus puts his finger on you and if the church doesn't discover about it god already knows about it and one day there's going to be a real real problem a severe problem that you'll face you can't get by with that forever it will be recognized what jesus said is repent of that Anybody can change and get their heart right and get their attitude right. Repent of that and bring yourself and your people that you can influence and your church back to a warm, hot hot fire for God. He said, if you don't do that, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I won't use you anymore. Listen, there's a high risk of not being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, only, only the Holy Spirit can keep us out on the firing line. And I have to pray all the time, Lord, please fill my heart with God. Fill my life with God. Every day that goes by, I have to ask for a re of the Holy Spirit. I've been to some meetings, and some preacher would preach, and he'd, he'd appeal for people who wanted to be more filled with God to come. And I just can't hardly stay back. I, go, I have to go and recommit my life. Every time one, this preacher that was here a few weeks ago got up and preached, I felt like, repenting and getting down to sackcloth and ashes. Now, I don't understand how, you know, I, I just, in my soul, I need that. Let me plead with you, don't ever get to a point where you don't need it. If you're to a point where you think, well, that's not for me, that's just for all those old sinners over there, you're in dangerous territory. There must be that constant sense of need of revival and need of of recommitment and need of fullness of God in our lives. Richard Hicks, I mean Richard Ricketts, graduates from high school tonight, right now. They have a great Christian school at Prince Avenue Baptist Church down there in Athens, Georgia. And this morning early I called on the phone to just congratulate Richard. And I was reminded about his daddy, Bill. I don't know how many times, if any of you were here in those days, Bill Ricketts, Jr. walked down the aisle recommitting his life and committing his life. Ronnie Hicks did the same thing. Many of those young men did the same thing because there was that, not because they were out in wicked sin, but there was that sense of a need for the fullness of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. And I have that need, and I pray that you'll have that need, and Glendale Baptist Church will have that need. I was so grateful for young people this morning who responded to that invitation and came. They've done it before, perhaps. Maybe they've done it in their hearts, but they came this morning and said, I don't want to be overcome by drugs or alcohol, and they took that stand. I was so thankful and proud of them and grateful to God for that kind of commitment. And adults, we need the same kind of commitment to Jesus. Now listen, th- these are words of warning. Now I want to get to the vision, the church's vision, with all this in mind. Seven churches. Five of them, Jesus said, Ephesus, you left your first love. Thyatira, you have false doctrine. Pergamus, Pergamus, you have false doctrine. Thyatira, you have uh, wickedness and impurity in your life. Sardis, you're a church that seems to be alive, but you're really dead. Laodicea, you're trying to straddle the fence. You're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. He warned those churches. But he has two in this list of seven churches. Nothing like that at all. Back in chapter 2, he says, Smyrna, I know you're little and you don't have very much money. And and sometimes you're a scandal in the city. They they don't understand your stand. But I want to tell you, don't be afraid. And when they cast some of you into prison, don't be afraid. I'll, I'll be with you. Fear none of these things. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. What does that mean, be thou faithful unto death? I think it means two things. Number one, be faithful even to martyrdom. We're living in a time when more and more we may see Christians martyred. Already in America, we've seen some preachers go to jail for the word of God. Who ever thought that would happen in America? That's happening in Russia, that's happening in Cuba, that's happening in China, that's happening in Albania, It's happening in Romania, it's happening in Czechoslovakia, it's happening all over the communist world where Christians are having to really suffer for their faith. Somebody in this room may have to die for your faith. But I think there's another meaning in that. He says, be thou faithful unto death. Be faithful all the way. Don't be faithful for just a few days and a few days and a few weeks and a few months and a few years and, and live for God for a little while and then have a nosedive and go back God keep me from being a mean old man a mean old woman that ought to be the prayer of all of us adults Lord don't let me ever step off that pedestal and young people if you've gotten going for God early in your life keep on going like a like a jet plane Just go right on up, and 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 on up. And then when you level off, you're about ready to go into God's city. See? Isn't that good? Won't that be great? You're just right there. Hey, Jesus, here I am. I'm ready to come home. I've been traveling for a long, long time. But don't have all these nose dives up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, some, some young people purposely ask for that. You'd rather see some kind of a ball game than go and be under God's Word. Can you imagine such a thing of God's people? I'm not against ball games. I hear, I hear them. I heard almost all of Western's ball games on the radio while I was visiting. And I, heard, I got as much out of it as you did. I got all excited when they got us something and they did something and, and so on. Uh, but, I, you know, you just don't take time to go to all of them. And I'm not preaching against going to them, but I am saying, if you have an opportunity to serve Jesus or get your spiritual life blessed and you choose a ball game instead, something's wrong. You say, preacher, I wish you wouldn't preach like that. There are a lot of churches here that don't preach anything like that. I know it, but I have to. Woe be unto me if I don't. When you get going for God, get going and take, just go on, be thou faithful unto death. That's what he was saying this morning, church. And then, Philadelphia church is the ice cream and cake in this chapter. Look at chapter 3 for just a moment. Verse 7. To the angel of the church in, La- in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast, not, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This is God's threefold formula for revival. Thou hast a little strength. Don't worry about your little strength. You know, somebody says, well, I just can't teach a Sunday school class because I don't have enough strength to do that. Just give God what you have and let him take care of the rest. I can't go soul winning because I don't know all the answers. So what? Neither. Do, who does? When they came to Jesus and asked him all kinds of things, he had the right answers, but they wouldn't accept them. Uh, you know, just, just give your best. Jesus doesn't want more than your best on the altar. He said, uh, thou hast a little strength. Don't ever get to bragging. He said, boy, I got lots of strengths. I talked to a preacher one time who said, uh, I was telling him, you know, that I was concerned. I wanted to be a better soul winner. And I said, to him, you know, it takes me about 15 soul winning visits to see one person saved. And I wanted him to pray with me about that. And it's still true. I, I wish I could be a more effective soul. Oh, he said, preacher, something wrong. I win four out of every five I talk to. Don't ever get to that point where you brag about your spiritual power. Because you don't have very much when you start doing that. Jesus said, I know your strength. You just have a little strength. Secondly, you have kept my word. You just kept my word. Keep on keeping it. And then he says, you have not denied my name. Have you denied the name of Jesus? Now that's the vision I want to give you tonight. And uh, then I want to just make a couple of applications. What does it mean to be a Philadelphia church? Listen, if I had a choice for this great God's people here at Glendale tonight I'd want us to be either the Smyrna church or the Philadelphia church preferably the Philadelphia church because I don't like to suffer (laughs) that's selfish isn't it now we may have to suffer the Smyrna church was destined to suffer and it's okay because Jesus didn't didn't criticize it he said I'll I'll be with you and I'll help you don't have to be afraid when you go through the suffering but really wouldn't it be good if we could be a Philadelphia church and Jesus would say look I've, I've set before you an open door No man can shut it. And here's the reason. You have a little strength. You're not proud of what you're not a proud. You'll go around bragging. You have kept my word. And you did not deny my name. Jesus, make that true here. Now, what does it mean for us to do that? It means that we have to find out that our strength is in him and him alone. More like the master I would ever be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I need thee every hour, O precious Lord. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. A spirit of humility that says, Lord, I need you. Our church needs you. We must have you. All of Jesus, Lord, I love you, and I want to love you more. And secondly, it will mean that we keep his word. That is, we're going to have some standards. And we're going to keep his word. That is, the word to go out into the ends of the earth to reach people for Christ. You know what, folks, listen. We need to get a greater vision of the mission world, of the the need of missions. Our church ought to give $100,000 to missions. If our budget is $200,000, we ought to give $100,000 of it to missions, 50% at least. But the only way we can do that is all of us to tithe his income. Every person putting his tithe together and then putting some offerings together. And somebody said, well, I just can't do that. I've got too many expenses. The church at Philadelphia kept his word. And I want to tell you, Jesus will honor the people that keep his word. He'll the church that keeps his word. And part of the word is that we put our tithes, his tithes and our offerings on the altar for God. You see, Malachi had it when he was saying to the Christian, to God's people in those days, he said, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. And he said, the reason you want, we want you to bring the tithe in is that they're So that there could be meat for the master's use. There can be funds to get the Word of God out. I know there's so much trash on television, but I'd like to get the Word of God on television. There's so much trash on the radio, I'm glad the Lord gives us an opportunity to be on the radio three times on Sunday. There's so much trash being sent to all the people around. You know that some people in this room tonight have told me they've gotten lewd, filthy things in the mail from some mailhouse order somewhere out. And probably somebody sold them a mailing list that had your name on it. That's how you got it. You didn't order it. They just sent it to you. I'd like to see Glendale Baptist Church be able to send a mail out at least twice a year to everybody in Warren County. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see us put some billboards up around Bowling Green bragging on Jesus and just telling them where they can find hear about Jesus and going to the Baptist church, talking about the anchored Christian school, and 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 get, get that message across to the people. I wish we could have a little spot in the paper every week that talks about the church and Jesus. See, they kept my word. What's the word? Part of the word is printing your tithes and offerings on the altar so God's church can be can do what God told it to do in the city and in the county and in the world. Do you know if everybody of our members tithe, we could give 50% to missions and still have much, much to spend right here in the city? If everybody tithed, our income would be about five hundred thousand dollars. And we could take 250,000 and give it to missions and spend 250,000 right here in the city. Woo-wee! You're talking about something great. God would bless that. They kept my word. The vision of the church. And they didn't deny my name. They stood for something. They didn't deny my name. They stood for something. As we begin to enter the 33rd year of this church's life, God grant that the Glendale Baptist Church will have a loving spirit, a a humble spirit, an attitude of care and concern and love, and never, never be braggadocious or filled with pride. But may we reach out to a world in need of the gospel, and may they know that Glendale Church takes some stands. A number of years ago when Mayor Graham was here, He's gone now. He told me one day, he said, uh, you know, he, he invited me to go and lead in prayer at a Democratic rally. He was a great Democrat. And uh, he was a dear friend of mine. I loved him. And he invited me to go and lead in prayer. I said, Mayor, are they gonna serve liquor there? you know if he had dry urine? Food. Well, if it'll, don't, it'll be the only Democratic rally I ever went to that don't. I said, well, Mayor, you know I can't go out there and pray over that liquor. And he said, preacher, everybody in Bowling Green knows that when you go to Glendale Baptist Church, you get religion. That's the way he put it, he's an old Presbyterian. He said, you feel like you've had religion when you leave. And he said, the only people that the liquor industry in this town is scared of is Glendale Baptist Church. Now, I don't know whether that's true anymore or not. Some of you go to places that sell liquor. Some of you may drink it i pray you don't they did not deny my name take that precious holy name of jesus hold it high take the name of jesus with you child of sorrow and of woe it will joy and comfort give you everywhere you go be somebody for god god will bless god will take care let's pray every head bowed every eye closed for just a moment The vision of the church. What could God do if all of us would say, Lord, I want to be like Philadelphia Church or, if need be, like the Smyrna Church? It begins by giving your heart to Jesus, trusting him as your Savior and your Lord and honoring him with all you are. God, grant that. There's some people here tonight who are not sure you'd go to heaven if you died right now. Let me plead with you right where you are to look to Jesus. Jesus paid it all. He who knew no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He paid the price already for your sin. He died for you and me. He was God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Three days later, he was raised from the grave, and he's a living Savior. He wants to come and live in your heart, but you have to invite him. Would you do it now? Our Father, we pray that just now somebody would open his heart to Jesus. will begin to walk and serve and talk with the King. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May we stand, please. What's the number of us? 394, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I free to give, 394. Now let me ask you this, first of all if you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure you'd go to heaven if you died, I want to ask you to settle that right now, I want to meet you down front, you come and offer your life to Christ, and say Jesus here's my life, I give it to you. There's some here tonight who have already privately been saved. But you need to confess that before men. And you need to be baptized. And I want to encourage you to do it tonight. Just come. You say, but preacher, I didn't plan to do that. It's all right. You're here. God probably planned it because he brought you here for such a time as this. And if you have been saved, you've given your heart to Jesus, but you have not confessed it, And you have not been baptized since you were saved. You need to do it. So God can use you, bless you, make you what you ought to be. Baptism doesn't mean anything if it's administered before you were saved. It comes after salvation. So I want to encourage you to do that. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you at Glendale, you ought to come. Do what God wants you to do with your life. While we begin to sing, who will step out for the King, Christ Jesus, will you come? God help you to do it.